The children may be dismissed at this time for Children's Church. And I'll invite you to find the book of Acts in your Bibles. We're returning to Acts this Sunday. As you find the book of Acts, most of you are probably aware, maybe by personal experience, that there are different ways of being the church together. Different churches have different traditions, different processes, different atmospheres. I know of one church where they get together weekly like we do, but their gathering is nothing like ours. It's a circle of chairs. There is no pre-planned order of service, and there is no one who's prepared a sermon. Everyone is expected to come and bring something, some hymn that they suggest that the church sings together, some word of testimony of God's faithfulness from the prior week, um, some prayer need that the church can pray over together, or a word uh, maybe from their personal devotions or something the Lord has pressed upon them to share with the group. And so they meet that way, and they never know what the Lord's going to do among them until they're there and they experience it. And then they share a simple meal together after. Everybody brings food for their own family or to share. They eat together, and that's their meeting. Totally different from what we do. I know another church that they get together every week like we do, and at least for a season of their church's life. What they would do is they would come together, and there'd be a brief biblical lesson, kind of like a sermon, but a little more informal. And then they would pray together, and they would go out in teams to public places, like parks or malls where people would be, and they would look for opportunities to spread the gospel on Sunday morning. Then they would come back, and they would pray together over you know, whatever the Lord brought about while they were out there. Now, these, these, those two examples are radically different from how we go about being the church together, at least in terms of our Sunday meeting. Now, I don't personally know any of those folks, but it seems as if they're genuine believers and they trust and follow Jesus Christ. So we have to come to a study of Acts, which is what we're doing. We're trying to study this book of the history of the beginning of the church with open eyes and open minds and open hearts just to see what's actually there. What does the Bible say about being Christians together? How, how can this shape us? We have to be humble and know that a lot of what we do together is the accumulated human traditions that come about. Many, and perhaps most of which, are very, very good and nothing wrong with. But it's exciting to come to this study, for me especially, as your pastor, just to see what's actually here. What are the, the principles that guide being Christians together? Just right now, based in this one book of the Bible, although you can learn, glean a lot from the entire Bible, what principles hold true for tiny country churches out in the middle of nowhere, big mega churches in urban centers where tons of people come, and mediums-type churches like what I would consider us to be? We're all Christians. We're all being the church together. What, what principles hold true here in Charlotte, North Carolina, as well as Mexico, as well as New Zealand, as, as well as Malawi, about being Christians together, being the church? Which principles hold true for the elderly homebound woman struggling with the onset of Alzheimer's, the young engaged couple, and the blue-collar worker who's just worn out from working 80 hours a week? What holds true for all of us? It's easy to 
identify, well, this is what church is because this is what I grew up doing as a church. But that may not necessarily be the true biblical shape of the church. So what we are trying to do is study the book of Acts together and pull out what we're calling shaping themes. Themes in the book of Acts that we can sort of submit ourselves to as Christians, being Christians together as the church, and see what form we take as we go about that process. So far, we've really only looked at four themes. Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' authority, the Holy Spirit, and signs and wonders. Those have been the four themes that have stood out so far. As we've taken these in, we've seen, I've tried to craft it into one sentence. We've seen that being the church together involves confidence in and obedience to the risen and authoritative Jesus Christ by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've gleaned so far from this fresh study of Acts. It involves sharing together firm faith in Jesus Christ because he arose from the grave, a simple historical fact. People saw him killed, people saw him buried, and then people saw him alive again. It involves radical obedience to him, not just as our divine therapist who can help us with our issues, but as our Lord. He's authoritative. It involves utter dependence on the Holy Spirit to enable us to live this way. And it involves hopeful expectations because God is actively at work among us. It's not just us and what we can bring about. So we're gathering this picture together, this portrait of the church, and we have a new theme today, and I'm calling it Expansion by Communication. Did anybody see that and get real excited? Doesn't that sound like an exciting sermon title? Expansion by Communication. This is really two themes that are so intertwined, I just sort of put them together. The theme of expansion and the theme of communication. And we're just going to trace these through, kind of briefly, through the book of Acts, and then press it upon us as a church, as like a mold. Why should we spend all this time studying acts like this? You guys have things going on in your lives. You, you need that therapeutic aspect of knowing God. You have hard things going on, grief, challenges, stress, anxiety, decisions. Why spend all this time thinking about how, how we go about being the church together? Well, we have to remember, this is our highest calling. Our calling to trust and follow Jesus together as the church is our highest calling. It's higher than retirement. It's higher than our jobs. It's higher than our families. It's actually the calling that puts all those into the right place in our lives. So this is centrally important for each and every one of us. So let's trace this theme of expansion by communication through the book of Acts. And we're going to move pretty quickly through this. First, as we start this book of the history of the church and its beginnings, we see that the apostles were to be Jesus' witnesses to an expanding geographic and racial territory, an expanding one. And we see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus directing his disciples before he ascends to the Father, says, but you, apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And he lists these stations in this expanding circle of influence that the apostles would be witnesses for him. The fact that they were apostles indicates their unique calling. That word means an authorized and sent messenger. So they were messengers. Communication was central to who they were going to be as apostles. And what they were going to be doing was serving as witnesses. Again, communication central to their calling as witnesses. To be a witness is to testify about the facts of an event. It's not so much to try to persuade. They they weren't philosophers. They were witnesses. When, When you look at the early gospel proclamation, they weren't being tricky or clever. They were saying, this happened. This man, Jesus Christ, he lived among you. You saw him teach and You saw him proven with signs and wonders, and you saw him crucified. And then after three days, we all saw him alive. And so we have to to testify about this. We have to share with you that he is indeed the Savior and the Lord. And they were to do that. They weren't just supposed to only do it right there in Jerusalem. They were going to do it in a way that would expand and spread across geographic territories and across people groups. It was going to spread out. Second, we see that when they received the Holy Spirit, he enabled the apostles to speak this news to Jews in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven, is how it phrases it, but Jews from all over the place. The Holy Spirit enabled them to speak of the mighty works of God in their individual languages in a way they could each understand. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. And the apostles were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, I know there's a lot of geographic areas to take in, but the big idea is already, right from the beginning, when the Holy Spirit hit, it resulted in supernaturally empowered communication to the nations. That's central to how the church began. Third, when the Jewish authorities decided to try to put a stop to this, because this spreading Christianity was a threat to them, when they decided to put a stop to it, they knew that in order to stop the spread of Christianity, you had to stop the speaking. You had to stop the communication. We see that in Acts chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. 
as these Jewish authorities are huddling together, saying, what are we going to do? This message of Jesus Christ is spreading. They say, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in the name, in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They knew that to stop the spread, you had to stop the speaking. Because the spread came about through the speaking. The expansion came about through the communication. Next, we see that the apostles couldn't disobey God. They had to continue witnessing and being apostles. And they were filling all of Jerusalem with this teaching. We see that in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. They warned them to stop speaking. The apostles went out and continued speaking. And now they've drug them back in and they say, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So their ministry was filling Jerusalem like an inner tube with a pump with the teaching of Jesus Christ, with this communication of the mighty works of God through Jesus Christ. This continued expansion by communication characterized the early church. A couple of places throughout the book of Acts, you get this summary verse that just sort of sums up what's going on in the church at that time. The first one of those is in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Word of God increasing. And as it did, disciples multiplying. Now, this communication of the good news of Jesus Christ was not restricted to the apostles. We see that the Holy Spirit-empowered table servants in Acts chapter 6, they also communicated the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 10. This is after the the ministry was just getting hectic and busy, and the apostles said, we need to appoint spirit-filled men to wait tables so we can focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. And so they prayed, and they put forward this group of men who are prototypes of what we call deacons today. One of them was named Stephen. And that's who verse 10 of chapter 6 is referring to. It says, they, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So he wasn't even one of the apostles. He was just waiting tables. He was just serving the widows. But even he was just pouring out this spirit-empowered speech that couldn't be contained. And not only was it the table servants, not only was it the apostles, but we see in chapter 8, verse 4, this was a characteristic of all the Christians. That same table servant, Stephen, made a huge, lengthy speech tracing through the history of God's word and God's people all the way to Jesus, proclaiming him to be the Savior and the Messiah. And they were so mad, they killed him. And with that martyrdom, with that murder, great persecution arose of the Christians there in Jerusalem. 
and it, it scattered the Christians all about. Like one of those seed sprayers, you ever you have like a walk behind thing and it scatters the seeds everywhere. The Christians just were scattered about all over the place. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we see, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, these weren't the apostles. The apostles actually remained in Jerusalem for the most part, but those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They just went about. There they're scattered, and with their scattering goes the preached word of Jesus Christ. The church continues to expand by communication. We see that the church, as it continued on, it was built up and it multiplied beyond Jerusalem, just like Jesus commanded the apostles at the beginning. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. There's only one more after this that we're going to read. Another summary verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So just what Jesus asked the apostles to do, here we see it, it's happening. Jerusalem, check. Judea, check. Samaria, check. It's marching on forward. It's spreading as the gospel is communicated, not just by the apostles, but by the prototype first deacons, not just by them, but by all the Christians who had been scattered about. And then finally, the last passage we're going to reference, the last verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28 We'll read verses 30 and 31, although I'm not sure if I got them both up there. Through the Apostle Paul, the gospel reaches all the way to Rome, which would have most likely been looked at as the, if not the hub or the centerpiece of all the rest of the world that Jesus referred to, at least a launching pad to get there for the early church. It says, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him. Then verse 31, that's why I'm not sure I got up there. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And with those words, the book of Acts ends. If this were a movie, I would think you'd get to that last scene here. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Fade to black, credits start rolling, and you, I would think you'd be like, what? It ends there? Well, what happens next is all the rest of, the, of church history on to us. We are the continuation of this story now. Now, that was a whirlwind tour through Acts. That was quick. Nine passages. You guys did it. You hung in there with me. I haven't seen anybody asleep yet. And what we've seen is that the early church was characterized prominently by expansion. It was just always expanding, and it was expanding by the communication of the gospel. I think you can agree with me on that. Now, in order to press this theme of expansion by communication upon us as a church, I just want to put forward to you three truths that I believe come faithfully from what we've seen quickly here this morning. Three truths. I don't have any admonitions for you, really. Just truths. Things that are true. The first one is this. Christianity expands. 
Christianity spreads. It's not even that it should expand or that it should spread. It does expand. It does spread. It's a historical and theological fact. If it stays isolated and contained, doesn't expand, doesn't move forward, it can't really be Christianity. It must be something else. There's something inherent in Christianity that makes it expand and spread, stretch out roots, grow. Jesus talked about the kingdom this way. He said it was like leaven in bread. I'm not a baker. I don't know firsthand much anything about that, but I know that it's a swelling, expanding, spreading kind of thing. He said it was like a tiny seed that would end up growing and growing, expanding into a a giant tree. He said it was like light coming forth from a flame of a candle. It emanates. it, It goes out. I had to ask Mark about this this morning because I'm not a grass expert. But as I was thinking about this, I was remembering at my parents' house, they had this great grass that's real thick. It turns like white in the winter, which doesn't look great, but it stays thick. And I remember as a kid, we just had this one little patch of it because I would have to mow and all the rest would be sort of weeds and dirt. But then you'd hit this one patch and you almost have to raise the blade because it's so thick. And now when we go and visit, that has taken over everything. And it it did it slowly, but there's something inherent in whatever kind of grass that is. After talking, consulting with my lawn care expert, Mark, we think maybe it was Bermuda grass. That's kind of how the church is. There's something genetic in it, in the DNA of Christians and Christianity that it, it spreads. So the first fact, Christianity expands. The second fact, Christianity expands by communication. It spreads through communication. The gospel, that word means, as many of you know, good news. Now, any news network you turn to on the radio or on the TV or, or if you use a newspaper you're old school like that, it comes to you in words. There may be video and there may be, may be images, but those are not enough to get the news across. It comes in words. It comes in communication. That's the nature of news. There's no, you don't turn to Fox News and there's like interpretive dancing going on to try to communicate the news. It's words. Now, it seems like an obvious point, but there is a notion in the church There's a famous quote, and basically people have said that St. Francis of uh, Assisi, I think, some people thought he said it, and then people said, no, 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 he never said it. But there's this quote, proclaim the gospel always, use words if necessary. Proclaim the gospel always, use words if necessary. And what that quote is conveying is is a good idea. It's saying you should live in such a way that you're a living sort of testimony of what Christ has done in you. And there's good there, there's truth to that, but it's a little misleading because you can't proclaim news without words. 
So as Christianity expands, it expands through Christians speaking the good news of Jesus Christ, or else it doesn't. There is no expansion of Christianity without speaking the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't be nice enough to my neighbor to make him become a Christian without telling him about Jesus. I could mow his lawn every week, wash his cars every night while he sleeps, bring him muffin baskets every morning. He would think I was super great, but he would not give his life to Jesus Christ in faith because I haven't told him about it. Christianity expands. Christianity expands by communication. And then the final fact, Christians communicate. And again, it's not should. It's not that Christians should communicate. Christians do communicate. Well, for one thing, people just communicate. It's just part of being human. We're always communicating about something. Usually we're communicating about whatever it is we're preoccupied with or whatever we're focused on. A young mother with a a new child, you you can virtually be guaranteed that's what she's going to talk about with you if you all get together with coffee because that's what her life is consumed with. People are going to talk about their work because at least eight hours a day, probably more, that's what you're consumed with. That's what you're thinking about. People are going to talk about their favorite shows because in the evenings, that's what they're consumed with. That's what they're doing. That's what's, what they're thinking about. We just do that naturally. Something weird happens in your week. The first thing you do is text somebody to tell them about it. Something amazing happens. The first thing you do is call somebody or the next time you see somebody you're close with, you tell them about it. It's just natural. And for Christians who are growing in a genuine and real devotion and love for God and for people and being increasingly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, they're naturally, naturally going to talk about it, naturally going to communicate about it. It's going to come up. Unless you are aggressively trying to hide it, if you're a Christian, it's going to come up. There's an Oxford theologian named Michael Green, whom I've never really read, but I came across some of what he wrote about Acts in a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. And the way he described that bit that we read about when the Christians were scattered because of persecution and how they went about preaching the word, wherever they went, he just was making the point, they weren't preaching like what I'm doing right now. They didn't have a face mic on and pews set up. The way he described it, he said it was haphazard, spontaneous, informal chattering to friends and acquaintances, in homes and wine shops, on walks and around market stalls, naturally, enthusiastically, with the conviction of those who are not paid to talk this way. And he says, in other words, they gossiped the gospel. They gossiped the gospel. If you're a Christian, it's it's going to come up in how you talk about your challenges. It's going to come up in how you discuss your anxieties, how you talk with and about your family, how you talk at and about your work. It's 
You know, the fascinating thing, if you, if you just get along with your Bible and you're going to do a study on evangelism, which is the term for this, of talking about Jesus Christ with people, you'll see it all through the book of Acts, but then once you hit the epistles, I don't want to overstate it, but there's virtually nothing about it. There's very little in the epistles that, that admonish Christians to be evangelizing. There's a little bit, but it's not as emphasized as you would expect coming out of Acts into the epistles. The clearest statements in there are from a reactive standpoint. They're not from an offense standpoint of get out there and bang on doors and share the gospel. It's more of a be ready when people ask you. I'll give you an example of that in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 13 through 16. I'll read the whole paragraph for a bit of context. He's writing to a group of Christians and he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, I'm sorry, conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's just kind of representative of some of what you see in the epistles. Be ready when asked about it. So does that mean we're not supposed to be intentionally evangelistic? I I really wrestled with it this week because I, you know, my predisposition is, I I know that we're supposed to be evangelistic, but I have, whenever you're preaching, you always have to go back and be open to the potential that you could be wrong with an assumption like that and, and say, well, what's really here? And where I've landed is, I, I think that it's mentioned so little in the epistles because it's just assumed. I think it's mentioned so little in the epistles because it's just such a natural part of being a Christian. Like that grass in my parents' yard. There was no instructions for them about how to try to get it to spread. My dad was never out there with his hands, like, you know, trying to spread it out. It, it just, it's natural. Christianity expands by communication because Christians communicate about Christ. We just do. There's a lot in the epistles about persecution. Why were the early Christians being persecuted? Because they were so nice? No, because of their message of Jesus Christ. So keeping this in mind, I think the fact that it's a natural thing, that when when we're encouraged to be evangelistic, we're not being asked to do some unnatural thing. I'm going to have to go against every grain of my instinct as a Christian to go and share Christ. We're being encouraged to do what comes naturally to a Christian. The same way leaven naturally expands, light naturally comes from a candle flame, seeds naturally grow. We're just encouraged to do something natural to us, really. There's opposition and there's spiritual warfare, but it's not unnatural. 
Keeping this in mind, I think, saves us from guilt trips about evangelism. And it highlights, I think, a really important reality. I think it highlights something that can clarify for us whether or not we are Christians. And I've told you many times, not everybody who's in churches truly is a believer. I have to keep that before you. Christians talk about Christ. It's natural to them. Now, there are those who don't want to talk about Christ, who have no desire to talk about Christ, and they're called non-Christians. Now, if you're a Christian, you may be afraid sometimes. You may not feel that you know what to say, but in your heart, you want to communicate this. You want to share with people what he has done for you. You want to share with people the glories of what you're seeing in here. You want to see these people out there who are lost and dying in a darkened, decaying world of the hope that is available to them through Jesus Christ. You'll be imperfect in it. You'll feel frail in it, but you'll want to. That'll be your natural instinct. Not all going to be called to ministries that look anything like what the apostles did. You're not going to go from here this week. If you work in the school system or if you're a student, you're not going to stand up in the middle of the cafeteria on a table and just start proclaiming Jesus Christ necessarily, although he could call you to do that. Some will be called to foreign missions. There may be some among us who God may prompt and call to foreign missions who may say, you know what you do for a vocation you could do in Malawi. It would be complicated, but I can show you how to do it and build the support team around you to do it. And you could go and bring the gospel with you. Some of you will be called to faithful presence right here among your families, among this community, among your co-workers. Sometimes it'll come up in the natural course of conversation. Somebody dealing with a parenting challenge and you're discussing it and you say, well, I was reading this in the Bible because I'm a Christian. I think you probably knew I was a Christian. I really believe that this is God's word and, and through Jesus Christ, I'm transformed, trying to be obedient to what he says. And so I saw this in there. It'll, it'll come up. Other times you may feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to someone and rather abruptly share the gospel with them. Th- that happens. Some of you know that feeling, that burning in your chest. All right, I really need to speak up here with this person. It happened to me once in the Walmart checkout line. But it it wasn't with anybody there at Walmart. I was buying cleaning supplies for our house we were trying to sell in Albemarle. And I was waiting in line, and and out of nowhere I thought, man, I've got a, it's one of my friends from high school. We don't talk real often. It's one of those friendships where you can pick up after a year and a half having not talked, and you pick up right where he left off. I thought, man, I've never really talked to him about his relationship with Christ, and I don't really know where he stands with that. And I had that heart-poundy feeling. I checked, you know, I did what I needed to do. I got my, gro- my groceries. I went out beside the Walmart and I called him. I said, listen, this is going to sound weird and out of the blue, but where are you at with Jesus? And we had the kind of relationship. And, and he was like, you know, it's so weird that you, 
called me right now with that because my wife and I were just talking about these things. That'll happen sometimes. We each have our own roles to play. We're each gifted in different ways. We each have different personalities. Some people are more prone to go up to a stranger and say, let me tell you about Jesus, than others. Some of you, that fits your personality great and go for it. Some of you, that would be so against who you are, how God made you, that it would be unnatural and awkward and weird for everybody. So I was thinking about this. I thought the example of somebody I know who is very unlikely to go up in that scenario and speak up, but because they do have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, the words still bubble up and press out. For this individual, it's in the form of writing. So they have a blog, an excellent one, that talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it works itself out. If you're a Christian, somehow it will come out in words. So, so far in Acts, we see being the church together involves confidence in and obedience to the risen and authoritative Jesus Christ by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. As we do so, Christianity expands by communication. It expands naturally. It only expands through communicating the gospel. And it does so because Christians communicate about Christ. And the way I would like to close is just by praying together, recognizing that although this is a natural process, there are many barriers and obstacles to us. There are many fears that we have. We, we live in a cultural climate that's increasingly hostile to speaking the truth about Jesus Christ. So I don't want to leave giving you a big burden. You need to go out and share the gospel 10 times a day before you can have lunch. I just want to encourage you, this is what you're a part of. This is who you are. If you are a Christian, this is who you are. You're a part of this globally and historically expanding kingdom of God. And you have a part to play. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sweeping us up into this great, big, glorious work that you are doing in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ through your people around this world throughout history. And I pray for us as a church that you would make plain to us our part, that you would stir in our hearts and make us so full of love for you and love for people and excitement over this good news that it would be always coming out in our words. Lord, wherever we may feel accused or condemned for our failures in evangelism, Lord, we just look to your word and remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Help us feel no false guilt. Help us rather feel empowered and encouraged by remembering who we are. Lord, give us many opportunities this week to proclaim your word, your mighty acts through Jesus. Help us to be bold. Help us not to be afraid. Help us be open to those Holy Spirit promptings when we should speak up. Or let it flow naturally in conversations. If there's anyone among us that you 
intend to call to a particular mission field. We pray that you would make that crisp and clear to us. Thank you for letting us participate through Penny Crusade and supporting those who have sent such a calling. Or would you add to your church many who are being saved? In Jesus' name, amen.